This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I am Randy Frisch from Uberflip. As always, I've got Tyler Lessard joining me from Vidyard. And today on Content Pros, we have an amazing guest, someone I've known for a while, someone who's been at some great companies along the way, companies like HubSpot, which I think is where Jay Akunzo and I originally met. Today, Jay is going to talk to us all about how we can own the idea of an episode or a series of content that we can create on all different forums out there. We'll dig into a lot of that today. Tyler, you want to tell us a little bit more about Jay before we bring him in? Well, I am super stoked to have Jay with us because he's, uh, I think, a real thought leader in an area that's near and dear to my heart, which is when it comes to content, uh, today good isn't good enough. And we need to think outside the box and we need to strive to, to be truly remarkable um, and I think exceptional in, in what we create. And, uh, you know, one of the pieces I've always found missing is, is what's the methodology to get there? Like, I know the ideas. I want to do something amazing, uh, but I don't know quite how to get there. And so that's one of the things I'm excited to peel back here today. Uh, Jay, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the Unthinkable podcast and what that's all about. Sure. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody who's listening for listening. You have many podcast choices here on the internets, and I appreciate you choosing this one. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, that kind of just reveals a little bit about who I am. Like, I, I kind of make a living... Uh, with words. And it started as writing. I, I worked in sports journalism and then switched into marketing at Google and uh, a startup no one's ever heard of and then HubSpot. And then the final stop in my career that had bosses involved was at a venture capital firm where I ran their branding and their content. But now I'm out on my own and I basically spend time across three categories of things, uh, public speaking and creating, uh, hosting or producing original series, which you mentioned in the intro uh, for brands. And then uh, hosting my weekly series called Unthinkable. It's a podcast that basically explores this idea of intuition and what it is and how we can use it in our marketing in a way that's proactive and practical. There's a lot of squishiness around this idea of intuition, but I've always found it fascinating when, for example, an individual writer can look at uh, a blank piece of paper or a blank screen and be like, aha, I have it. This is what we should write. And another writer down the hall takes hours and hours poring over keyword research and talking to people and, and still can't come up with it. So there's something about that first person that I've always been fascinated by and, and want to explore. You know, how do people pull out answers from from within? That's kind of the topic of the show. So you've been doing uh, a lot of great content in that area for, for a little while now. And I'm, I'm curious of, of the various topics you've explored, the people you've talked to, the research that you've done as it relates to uh, this idea of intuition and its role in, in, the, in the content development experience. Um, what are a couple of things that you've 
really learned along the way? Like if there are two to three takeaways that, and it's probably many more, um, but are, are there a couple of things that have really popped that you really like to share as the best practices or uh, the real standouts that people can think about as they're trying to understand, you know, when and how can I embrace intuition more in, in what I'm doing? Where this started was really this uh, this phrase that a friend gave me. I was kind of upset about some of the ways that marketing was treating the creative and and the substance of content. And uh, we were having beers, as so many of these conversations go, and I, I was complaining. And he just paused me, and he's like, Jay, you want to work with people who are bothered by suck. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a great way to describe it. Um, and so I started thinking about, well, what why is there so much average stuff out there? Like nobody actually sets out to do average work, but a lot of our work ends up average. And when you talk to people, they're like, well, I actually do aspire to do better work. I want to do something exceptional. And so I'm focused on that gap between the two. It's never been easier to just figure out what the average is because you can ask somebody on social or Google it or go to YouTube and find a tutorial. So average is not our problem. Our problem is going from average to exceptional. And if you look at the word exceptional, again, I do the words thing for a living. So I'm fascinated by like the makeup of a word. Exceptional has that root word exception. And so what makes each person an exception is their own intuition. You know, if I handed an assignment of a blog post to a hundred different content marketers and I gave them 90% of the draft and the same headline, those hundred people would return a hundred different articles because each individual would have a different sense or style or taste or creativity, whatever you want to call it, to, to produce the final piece, even though that piece just requires a little bit of polish. And so I'm fascinated by how if you want to be exceptional, you can rely on your intuition because it's what makes you an exception. So that's kind of like the why. Like, why is this interesting? Why do we need to talk more about it? We have plenty of tools. We have plenty of how to. I think this is sort of the how to think. And now that you have the why, you go over to the how and the what, and that's where things fall off the rails because it's all over the place. It's totally murky and quite frankly, hard to just like hold in your hand. So you have everything from like Einstein, who you wouldn't suggest as a person who would talk about intuition. Uh, He has a quote calling intuition your most sacred gift. And he said, the rational mind is the servant of that gift. The, The quote's in debate, but people mostly attribute it to Einstein. Uh, And then you have like social scientists or or authors who think about that stuff like Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell in Blink talks about rapid cognition or snap judgments. It's just whether it's internal guides or the creative muse, it just doesn't ground itself in reality. So I'm like sorting through all this mess trying to be like, okay, how do we actually ground intuition in reality? I'd like to hold it in my hand and wield it proactively, not just like throw myself against a problem and rely on the fact that, oh, your brain does magical things. That's, That's just not satisfactory to me, especially in the workplace. Jay, just to, just to jump in there, it's funny. I mean, as, as people are listening to this and they're trying to relate, I, I'm going back to like high school, right? And I'm thinking, remember when we all had used to get up there and do that public speaking or the debate where we had actually like write out our whole thesis and then, you know, debate it out loud and everyone from the class debated the same thing. So to your point, you know, you got a hundred different perspectives and some people were just naturally great at this, right? Like you could just see them thriving up there. And some of us were not, but our teachers were telling us, no worries, you practice, you're going to get better. So here's my question to you. Can people get more intuitive over time? Like, is this idea of intuition something that we either have or don't have? Or is it something that you believe that we can, you know, hone those skills? That That's what I'm challenging. I'm challenging this idea that it's something you have or don't have. 
And, you know, on my show, for example, we've done episodes about the muse and why in ancient Greek times people would invoke the muse because they didn't believe they had the power to be creative. And then you fast forward to today and people still have that problem, but maybe they just don't look for a deity. They look for an expert or a guru or a secret. Um, And I think what it boils down to for me is, again, like I went with the root word of exceptional, the root word of intuition in Latin is intuir. It's I-N-T-U-I-R. And all that means is knowledge from within. So that's not so scary. That's also pretty grounded in reality. Like, how do you find knowledge from within yourself, your team, your own specific context, your customers, as opposed to everybody else's? Like, it's not about finding everybody else's answers for things. And there's plenty of those flying around the blogosphere, podcasts, etc. It's not about others' answers. It's about you asking the right questions. So I think if you flip the script from, I'm out to find an answer, I'm out to find the hack, the cheat, the secret, the best practice, over to, I need to ask myself the right questions or my team the right questions, we can start pulling out answers from within. And I think that's what intuition is. It's just the ability to pull out those answers from within, or if you want to say it another way, in an era full of experts, it's the process of thinking for yourself. So Jay, as you talk about that, you know, I recognize within our own team, we try to practice this um, as much as we can to try to bring out the creative aspects within our team and, and challenge our, our various folks to think a little bit differently, to bring their own kind of personal humanity to, to these challenges. And, you know, sometimes I, I struggle with who within the creative process should be embracing intuition. And, and my gut says the answer is probably everybody, but we've got content marketers and writers, we've got designers, we've got product marketers who are pitching and messaging ideas. Uh, we have executives who have their own perspective. Is, you know, is intuition a part of everybody's job within the creative process? Um, and are there those where you'd say, you know what, you have great intuition, you should really be at this nexus of the creative process, whether it's the writing or the design or, or kind of where do you see the most value come from those people who seem to have a great grasp of using their intuition wisely? Yeah, let's let's switch the phrase. I mean, it's a great question, but if you switch the phrase from intuition to thinking for yourself, then the question becomes, who should think for yourself inside the business? And I'd hope most companies would say everybody, right? Like, obviously, you have some corporations that you might point to from the outside and be like, those people treat their employees like cogs. But, you know, I would assume everybody listening to this show is thinking, yeah, I'd like to think for myself. I'd like to come up with better more differentiated answers and ideas. And I'd like my team, my boss, my peers, my direct reports to do that too. So I don't think it's, it's not so much that it's like a tool or a job. It's just a way of thinking. And the way of thinking is, is important today because today we have access to all this expert advice, all these list articles. We just have so much stuff telling us, like instructing us what we should do. And we have to blend that with our ability to think for ourselves. Like there's a lot of not standing on the shoulders of giants going on, but leaning against them like a crutch. It's like, this is the guru. This is his or her answer for things. Let me just do that. And you need to start asking questions. Does that make sense in my context? What about my team? Are are we equipped to do something like that? They're saying that podcasts are great as whatever, emotional, story-driven NPR shows or interviews is that true? Aren't there other formats? Like just asking questions starts to like unleash your own ability to think for yourself. So to answer your question, I think it's everybody's responsibility to do that in any job. And if you do have a creative production related job, it becomes all that more important because now not only is it about thinking for yourself, it's also about differentiation in a marketplace full of copycats. 
Yeah, and, and I couldn't agree more on the differentiation requirement these days. And there is, uh, you know, a, a ton of, you know, problem is everybody's a content producer now. And, uh, to, you know, what we certainly find is to stand out. You've got to be interesting. You've got to be different. And I think you've got to be a lot more, you know, human in what you're creating and, and frankly, how you're thinking about it, which I think aligns with, with much of what you're saying. Um, now, one of those things that you've started to do, and, and hopefully this was based on, on intuition from your side, was to, you know, look at new formats of content. And, and I know you're a big advocate of content series as something that brands should be thinking about as opposed to producing one-off content pieces here and there, thinking about, you know, where and how can you dive into a series of content, whether that be threaded based on the type of medium, the type of topic, um, the type of audience you're going after. Um, So I'd be interested in exploring that a little bit and getting your perspective on kind of why are you leaning so far into this idea of series of content and, you know, Ridley, where did it start from? I think it was the convergence of two things in my world that led me there. So one is I've been in tech in internet startups or uh, an internet VC for my whole career. And so in tech, at, at really good tech companies, the most revered people or the people who have seemingly the most important role are product managers because they're like mini CEOs over the product. They have to understand the customer's view, the engineering, the marketing, just the design, everything. And and product managers and companies that build great products do not stop at just acquiring users or customers for those products. They spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about the retention of those people. And there's all this you know, business model and financial forecasting you can do to, to understand why that's so crucial. But, you know, for example, when I was working for HubSpot as a software as a service company, the golden goose is to reach something called negative churn, which if you've been in SaaS is like, you know, the holy grail. You want more people to be upgrading and spending more money than churning off of your product in terms of the revenue provided by the business. So that's what let's just put a pin in that. So product people are really focused on retention. The other thing is if you look at attention in the world. So people are getting more distracted. It's harder to acquire people's attention. And as a result, a lot of marketing is focused on just getting in front of people, getting you to stop long enough to hear me out. If you blend the two together, I think where you land is you really need as a marketer to think more about not attention acquisition, that's important, but attention retention. In other words, It's never been easier to get in front of people. We just have so many channels and so many ways and so many methodologies, but it's really, really hard to get people to pay attention over time. And that is the time you need to convert people, to build relationships, to upsell them to more content, to a subscription, to a product, whatever your goal is. So product people are great at doing this. Content often mimics product, but late to the game. So I think an original series, something that ties together and uses good storytelling technique to drive people from the moment of, I'm paying attention now, you've acquired my attention, to over time, I'm going to come back and consume repeatedly. I think that is where we move from content marketing as a glorified replacement for banner ads, one piece, one spot, to content marketing as true media. I'm going to gain your attention and earn your trust over time. 
Jay, that that makes so much sense, and I love the way that you you know simplify that for people. I think it's something that as all of us learn about content marketing, as you pointed out, we start off with just creating you know individual content marketing assets, and this is really getting to that idea of how do we tie it all together. So you know, I, I want to dig deeper in this. I mean, you know, for a lot of people who are just starting out with content marketing before they get to this point of understanding how it all comes together, I also want to call everyone to it. A great class that Jay Bear has put together. So Jay Bear is the man behind Convince and Convert. Content Pros is part of the Convince and Convert uh, family of, of content that's created. So we're we're a series ourselves. And Jay has actually put together an amazing course called the Content Marketing Class. If you go to contentmarketingclass.com, you'll be able to sign up and actually start to learn some of the basics that Jay's talking about right now. The the Jay on this podcast, not the Jay Bear. And then, uh, you know, and, and then once you do that and once you hear from a couple of our other sponsors right now, we'll be right back to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of how do we acquire and retain people. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, a.k.a. all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. We're back on Content Pros with Jay Acunzo, and we're digging into this idea of attention and retention, and the idea that with our content, we shouldn't just spend time getting people in, but actually spend time getting them to stick around. And this this all ties back to the idea of creating a series. And it's it's interesting as you talk about this, Jay, because as, as you do so, I think of you know the modern definitions of series that we're all used to, even outside of how we educate ourselves professionally. I mean, you know, Netflix has kind of redefined the idea of a series and the idea that you know we start with one piece and we're we're not done, right? They suck us in to, you know, as, as you described it, not just, you know, take a piece down, but retention, keeping us around, getting us to consume more. So what are some of the, the easy tricks that you've seen that people have been able to do to create that in, in the world of, of content marketing? Yeah, let's let's get people to stop hyperventilating into paper bags when they're like, wait, really, I have to create this like pillar series now that I'm just I'm struggling just to put a piece on my blog. Like it's let's okay, we can we can calm down. I think Tyler had a good point earlier, which is, you know, how do you actually go from okay stuff to great stuff? Like we all think to ourselves, yeah, we need great content. But then all the teaching that goes on, all the practicality in our industry seems to be based on um, distribution and measurement. So the good news, the reason I want you to stop breathing heavily into that paper bag is that this is teachable stuff. You can, you can zoom into the insides of your container, right? Like the, the, the episode of a podcast, the strung together episodes of a series, and you can actually break it up into component parts and learn it in the way you've learned marketing and how to use different tools and channels. So every single business should, and this is where it would fall apart if you don't, should have a story they want to tell that's differentiated from the marketplace and story itself has a lot of different frameworks but the best place to start here isn't the series and it isn't blogging or individual pieces it's the thing that underpins all of that what is your company's story and there are three parts to a story a status quo conflict and a resolution so status quo 
people today are trying to get in front of other customers and everybody's struggling to, you know, build a relationship with your audience. That's not a story. I just gave you a fact. Status quo. Conflict. But... While you try doing that, you realize it's never been harder to compete for that attention because there's so much media flying all over screens on mobile phones, on laptops, on desktops. There's just so much stuff that people access via screens that how can you reach them during work or during their leisure consumption time? All right. Resolution might be something like try a podcast because audio can reach people when they're not staring at a screen. It's a multitasking vehicle. You can reach them at the gym or on their commute or whatever. Now, I haven't said that I have a product for podcasting. Personally, I don't. This is just an example. But I could say, hey, if you like that story, that's my company's story. If you agree with it, if that's your story, well, I have a product to talk to you about. So you need that first story, status quo, conflict, and resolution. And then the next step is, okay, how do we manifest the story into the world? Individual pieces, fine. But if you do an original series, now you have something to mold into this step-by-step -step episodic installation of that story. So I want to stop there. We haven't gone into series yet, but you need that first story for a series to work. Does, does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think if, if people are trying to visualize that, if they Google, I think it's classic story arc is, is usually you end up seeing exactly what you're talking about there, right? Where it's, it's, it's very much like Cinderella, right? You know, the status quo, um, I think was, you know, it's terrible step, sisters who are you know persecuting her in all these terrible days you know you've you've got uh you know the the conflict which is her going to the ball but things don't work out as planned and then the resolution is you know the the glass slipper right 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 and let, let's say let's say we mash together your two companies so we got vidyard and we have uberflip and it becomes vidflip and it's all about experiential content great experiences like that's your resolution to your company's story is is you need to make your content a great experience and if somebody believes that or, or likes that story you can then upsell them very easily from yeah that's the resolution to this story experiences to well, by the way, we have a product that does that, or we have more content to teach you that, or we have this brand you might want to subscribe to. It's story is, is wonderful to move people along a journey to hold their attention. And then if you're thinking sales and marketing, it's an upsell vehicle because you're already mentally prepared for me to give you that call to action. So how do you take that story arc? And, you know, I think people can easily conceptualize, great, I can take that, I can write a piece, I can write a, a single ebook or a guide or produce a video. But how do you think about now taking that story and in practice, you know, turning it into a, a flourishing, you know, repeatable set of content that is going to help not only draw people in, but back to our point, you know, retain them and bring them back in? Is it about exposing, you know, depth at different layers throughout a period of time? Um, or, you know, what are your ideas about how you, you manifest that now into episodic content that feeds your engine and keeps people engaged? Sure. So the first thing to do is not to start with the medium. That's what most temp uh, that's probably most tempting for most people listening is I'm going to yep. start a podcast or a video series. That's that comes last yep. and that actually gets decided for you based on a number of things we'll talk about. But the first thing is you need to hone this concept of the series. And and the reason I think uh, TV executives, for example, throw up so many pilots during pilot season um, is is they hear the same kind of pitch over and over again. But it is actually really effective, which is we're going we're gonna to create a show, a series, which is this meets that. That's a very easy place to start creating a series. This meets that. So my show, Unthinkable, it's basically, I don't know, This American Life meets marketing. That's kind of the, the hook for my show. So the first thing you need to get is a hook 
uh, it basically it's it's a way to reel somebody in in the moment because you can distinctly articulate uh, a reason to subscribe, and it keeps them engaged over time. So if I were to say to you that uh, you know science is a very popular podcasting topic, don't launch a show in science. Well, Gimlet Media in New York last year launched Science Versus. They have a tremendous hook. The hook is pitting the facts against popular trends. Nobody else is doing that. They could come up with a generic yet another science show in the way that a lot of you know B2B shows, it's yet another marketing show, yet another sales show. But instead, they just took an angle on it. They have a hook. So if I see the episode today is organic foods, I know they're going to pit the facts against organic foods. But I see a different one tomorrow and the next day, and I'm like lighting up. I'm like, oh, I totally get the concept of this show, and I can decide very easily if I want to listen today and subscribe over time. So the first thing you need is a hook, and I mentioned a very easy way to come up with one, which is basically just mashing up something you admire from outside your echo chamber with your topic or your industry. You know, we recently had uh, Ollie Gardner um, from Unbounce on the podcast, and one of the things we had talked about that I thought he had done so successfully was created a series around um, videos of him uh, critiquing people's landing pages sort of live on camera, uh, where he would go in and talk about a campaign and, and look at how you had orchestrated it, and then provide some you know very candid feedback on things that could be done better or otherwise. And when I dove into that and I first started, you know, watched the first episode, um, exactly to your point, I think I got really pulled in, and it was wasn't because the content itself was miraculous or the medium was incredible. It was this. It was it was the hook and the tension um, that was created by taking these live examples and then dissecting them and you know thinking through you know how does this really work and and I think he did a great job of exactly that, bringing a hook to that idea. And all he was trying to show was best practices for um, you know landing pages, but bringing that hook and that tension of doing something live and dissecting you know somebody else's pages and giving specific examples. I think was. Done super well, and he mentioned that's been their most uh, effective campaign. Um, so I think a great example. Um, have you seen other types of examples that can sort of bring this to life for people that uh, can help them conceptualize different types of episodic content? Yeah. So if you look at social media, obviously there's a ton of social media podcasts, and I think the longest running is um, from Michael Stelzner. So he just basically has the social media marketing podcast. Now he didn't need a hook because he was basically first. So if you're first, you have a lot of advantages. Very few categories have a first left to claim. And so what you end up doing if you launch yet another show is your yet another show, just generically talking about your topic. So this hook is a differentiating factor. So in social media, you can't just do a yet another social media marketing show. So along comes Buffer, and Buffer creates the science of social media show. And if they're competing with Hootsuite, Hootsuite, I think, either had a show or maybe still does. Theirs was kind of yet another social media marketing show. It didn't have a hook. It didn't articulate how it was any different. And basically, the hook becomes the brand. So if you already like or know the brand, okay, I might listen to that show. But Buffer has this great name, The Science of Social Media. So if I'm really into optimization, if I'm really into efficiencies, I might want to subscribe to that show. Now, what does their product do? It helps you with optimization, it helps you with efficiencies, right? It all aligns across the brand, not only from their product to their marketing, but for, you know, from their marketing assets, standalone blog posts, to their assets, to their series, right? It all aligns. And, and so that's a great example of a hook. There's so much stuff in that industry, there's so much stuff in that niche, but if I just say to you, it's the science of social media, your brain is already starting to turn and you're deciding mentally, is that for you or not? 
Well, let's let's all agree that amongst the three of us, so that none of us get in trouble with Jay Bear later, that the best of the social <laughs> media podcasts out there is Social Pros, and I, I think the hook alone there is Jay Bear. So uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just making sure I have a job on a you know, backup job as a podcast guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, now uh, I don't know if Jay listens to this, but if Jay is listening, imagine what Jay could do if Jay Bear had Social Pros and put a firm hook on that show, because then you have Jay Bear and an amazing hook like oh my god stand back the world is your oyster you know like someone who does this really well is is anthony bourdain anthony bourdain is a big name so you could have the travel show with anthony bourdain and literally millions of people would watch it's also on cnn right so that's helpful but anthony bourdain's show has a hook it's called parts unknown so it's you immediately are like oh they're going to visit parts of stuff maybe the world, maybe our country. They're going to travel to things and see things and do things and taste things that are unknown until they do it. That's a hook. And and you have a formula for how to create an episode with that hook that him and his writers have come up with. So I could go and host his show. It'd be about a 0.01 out of 10 compared to his 10. But there's like content IP. It's not just dependent on the name. And this is gotcha. where marketing falls flat. It's always dependent on the name. That's a mistake because once you've had, you know, the not ready for primetime players in your industry on the show once, like where else do you go? It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So don't depend on the name as much, get a hook. And if you're Jay Bear and you had a hook, oh my God, world domination. <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm, I'm like now kind of curious what you think our hook is, um, you know, here at Content Pros or what it should be. One of them that we always have is at the end or towards the end of a podcast, we get to know the person who's joining us. So, you know, we've, you know, Tyler and I have been doing some digging on you to try and get to know you and make sure everyone tuning in here, you know, knows, uh, you know, a little bit behind yourself. And, and digging up, you know, what's interesting is you, you've dropped a lot of analogies today i love metaphors too i love analogies amazingly none of them have been sports analogies but you do have a history in sports so tell us how that happened and and how you've managed to move away from there or, or if it still plays a, a role in your life yeah it's a very good digging so it does play a role i'll get to that but i started trying to be a sports journalist in college i wrote for you know the student papers local print publications in small towns in connecticut um, a big city paper, and then ESPN, and that's a small that's a small, small organization. Little paper, yeah. Little, yeah. Little, I think it's a it's a weekly, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I won a scholarship for it in school as well. And that was just what I loved. And the thing I've kept with me is the reason I was doing it in the first place. Yes, I love sports. Yes, I'm a fan, and I do love games. But what I really loved were these really dramatic and almost cheesy stories about athletes. Because sports is such a great microcosm of life, and so you can build up all these big tropes and themes, you know, like the hero's journey story structure, but through the lens of an athlete's life. And so what I've taken with me from my days in sports is kind of like my North Star with the stuff I create, which is just, it's a very simple phrase I keep in the back of my mind, which is, make them feel. Like, make people feel deep, big, complex, messy emotions with what you make. And, uh, and, and that's something I just tore out of the sports world for, from all those big feature pieces or videos that I used to admire. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's, so it's funny, you know, digging deeper on you and, and I already alluded to before when I was, you know, kissing Jay Bear's butt on, in terms of keeping <laughs> this as my backup, um, you seem to have a lot of backup 
options. You know, you, you could be you know, a sports writer. Um, you could also be a professional model, though, from what I understand. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. I definitely don't have that as an option. Uh, Tyler, I don't know. You, you have a better chance probably than me. But uh, how does that come to be? I'll save you because right now people are like, is Randy hitting on him? What's going on? So <laughs> the, reason, the reason you're bringing that up is uh, I guess if, if you consider getting paid uh, the qualification to be considered a professional at something, then I am a professional model. So when I was a kid, I think 10 or 12 years old, something in that range, I used to take cooking lessons from one of my mom's friends and you know, just fun weekly things we would do for a few weeks in a row. And she started getting interested in making a cooking show. And so I was actually on the pilot they used. It never went anywhere. It never went public. Um, and part of the process of shooting the pilot was to take photos to help promote the idea behind the show to networks. And so I was standing next to these like child size salt and pepper shakers and holding up like oversized spatulas. And so, so I, and, you know, leaning up against them and I had people telling me like, turn this way, turn that way. And then I got a small check that my mom promptly deposited somewhere into a bank account. I never saw it cause I was 10. So technically speaking, yes, I suppose I am a, a professional model, but uh, I by no means would be able to make it in the actual industry. My my blue steel stair face is not that good, I think. <laughs> oh, nice, nice drop of nice drop of blue steel. You just went a lot of our listeners over, I'm sure there. A little Zoolander drop. Uh, Jay, this has been so much fun. Maybe you can just share one last thing with us, which is where can people follow you more in terms of podcasts, in terms of content? What is kind of the destination to hook them in? It, it, it's I think it's my f- most fun project and I think it's my best as well. It's just my podcast, Unthinkable. And you can get that at unthinkable.fm for the email subscription option or wherever you get your shows. So the name of that show is Unthinkable. Very story, very high production value type of show. Amazing, Jay. And you, you actually lined up my closing where I always say you can find content pros wherever you find your podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. And I'm sure at the same time, you can find Unthinkable with Jay Akunzo. Jay, this has been a ton of fun. On behalf of Tyler over at Vidyard, I'm Randy at Uberflip. This has been Content Pros, which is part of the Convince and Convert family of podcasts. We thank you so much for taking time to tune in and spend some time with us. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com. 